missionary, uh, Seth Curtis, with us. He's here in the U.S. for just about a month. And so uh, my family and I and a, and a few of you from our church have been able to spend a little bit of time with him while he's recovering from jet lag. So he's made this like 24 plus hour trip over here uh, this week and so trying to recover from that. But uh, so far we've been able to uh, work through a number of things. We're getting ready for a class that I'm going to come over and team teach with him in the Congo um, in uh, November. So we've been able to do some of that. But I'm so glad that we as a church support the Curtises. I uh, pulled up a, a picture that I had sent Seth a while back from uh, one of our handwritten members meeting notes. And it said there that on March 19th, 2000, uh, the church began supporting the Curtis family. So that was that's neat to think about. We've been supporting them for 19 years, and so they've been doing a great work there in the Congo. I've been blessed to be able to go over there a number of times, see that work, to, to worship in their church, in New Life Church, and, and uh, New Life Church, I feel right at home there um, in their service. I mean, they, culturally, they do do a few things a little bit different than us, um, but a lot of the songs, the preaching definitely... Um, definitely feel at home there, and we are so glad to be able to support that ministry. And then the Congo Coalition training uh, pastors there in Lubumbashi uh, to faithfully handle the Word of God and to preach that to their congregations. So I'm excited to have Seth here uh, with us. I invite him to come in just a minute and share from God's Word. And he, and he didn't know this, but he's actually been sharing from Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, which is part of our theme this year. And uh, so one of our theme verses is one of the ones he's going to cover. We proclaim Jesus Christ, not ourselves. And so I'm excited to hear from him on that text today. Before he comes, Richard Fears is going to come and read his text and pray for our sermon this morning. So Richard, would you come, read for us, and then after he's done, Seth, come and share God's word with us. Okay, today's sermon text will be out of Second Corinthians Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. If you'll be using the Pew Bible uh, as a reference, it starts on page 965. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning, or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, uh, please give us the strength to continue this, uh, this, this drumbeat of gospel. Uh, gospel life, and Father, uh, to be that uh, beacon of light uh, of your glory 
that you have given uh, to us, uh, of us that have accepted you. And Father, as we, we praise and honor you this morning, uh, we just ask that your, your glory just carry us through your message. Be with the pastor as he brings the message. And just uh, help us to glorify you in all that we say and do. We pray this in your holy, holy name. Amen. You know, just talking with Brian this week, and every time I come back to the States, really what I notice a lot that I always forget in between is how we have so many different issues that we deal with in ministry in our city, and some of the things that you guys might think are really important uh, in the church here in America or for you don't end up being so important. For us, not, I'm not talking about doctrinal things, or, or although it does, it does end up being doctrinal in nature. But maybe some of the doctrinal things you guys struggle with and wrestle with and want to kind of split hairs on, uh, that doesn't end up being what's most important, and that comes front and center for us. And we have some, our also ours might seem really bizarre to you, because we live in a culture that uh, where the, the basal norm thinking of, of people in our city uh, obviously is not biblical, okay? And so even though you're, you're going to be able to relate to that as an American, even though this is a Christian country, you would have to agree that the basal norm way of thinking of the average person that you interact with during the week is not biblical. It's not a biblical worldview. But our non-biblical worldview looks very different from your non-biblical worldview, if I can just say it that way. And so um, whenever I come to the States, I always struggle with, okay, what? I don't know these people. I, I, don't, I don't rub shoulders with these people. How am I going to relate to these people and bring something significant to them? And um, the good thing is this, that, yeah, I'm a missionary, and, yeah, I, I live in a different culture, and, yeah, um, I... We're involved in leadership training, both in, inside and outside of the local church, but, at, but I'm a pastor, and I love God's Word. And there are some things that doesn't matter what culture you're in or what background you come from, there are some things that our enemy, the devil, wants to, uh, wants to tear down. It doesn't matter what culture we're in. And, and so this morning, I, I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, and uh, the passage was already read, so maybe you're already there. Uh, but uh, this is just, I'd like to just talk a little bit this morning about the gospel and about our presentation of the gospel. And, um, you know, over the years, as you may have had opportunities to share the gospel with others, and maybe they've responded, maybe they haven't, um, just in, in your workplace, in your classroom, in, in your neighborhood, with your neighbors, just as you've been living life uh, in front of them, Christian life, and, uh, and allowing them to see a little glimpse of Jesus Christ. Um, anyway, maybe you, as you've been sharing the gospel with someone and they've accepted, they've accepted Christ or they've responded in some way to your, your gospel presentation. And then over time, maybe uh, you have seen that uh, someone that you thought was a Christian, it, it, you see them later turn from God's truth, from God's word, from the path, if you want to say it that way. You know. and, and maybe you've seen someone accept Christ and, uh, and then never really be able to discern any significant, any meaningful fruit of the Spirit in their life after that over time. You know, what, how do we, 
how do we assimilate that into our worldview of what's happening? Uh, it, you know, it's possible that those individuals are just stagnating in their sin, you know, for a period of time. Maybe they've stumbled, maybe they've fallen into sin, and, and there's a period that they're in where there's a lack of growth, a lack of, of, of becoming like Christ. But it's also possible uh, that we don't see fruit uh, of the Spirit in the life of that individual because the, the Holy Spirit was never there in the first place. Um, the only way that could be possible is if that person had never responded to the gospel uh, and they never, or, or they responded to a version of the gospel uh, that was not truly the gospel that the Bible is teaching to us, uh, not the gospel that the Bible describes. And as a result, that whatever they responded to contained no hope of salvation whatsoever. Um, maybe they prayed a prayer, right? I mean, historically, Christianity kind of has this idea of a repeat this prayer after me. You know, you lead children to the Lord that way. Uh, maybe they invited Christ into their lives for, for practical reasons. I can give you all sorts of reasons why someone would, uh, in, in our culture, in Lubumbashi, would want to invite Jesus into their life. Uh, but perhaps they had no, uh, no understanding of what it meant to submit to God in faith, right? Um, the mentality in our city is that you want God to bless your life. There, there, is, there isn't an atheist that you'll find in our city. There is a worldview that encompasses God, even if it's not the God of the Bible describes. But there's the idea of God and, and blessing and curse in the spirit realm and all of that. And so, uh, so I've had many people come into our church over the years and say, you know, I don't have a job right now. Um, or I, I don't feel like I have God's blessing in my life and uh, everything I try is failing and, uh, and I want to succeed and so I need to invite God into my life. I need to become a Christian. Uh, they're not talking about the gospel. They're talking about the African worldview that would say, I, I need a, a juju, I need a, a good luck charm, I need an amulet that's going to bring me blessing in my life. I need power that's going to resist all of these, these spirits that are trying to do bad things to me. And so I need God in my life, right? So you have to be careful as you're approaching people for evangelistic um, conversations as to what the motivation is. And so I want to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning, if you're not there, uh, to a portion of Scripture that we can benefit from as we think about this important topic of how we are proclaiming Christ. And so uh, it was already read in full, so let's just pick this apart just a little bit. Verses uh, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So there in verse 2 where it says tamper with the Word of God, another way to, to translate would, that would be to distort the Word of God. Okay? Um, the, the Greek word means to cause something to be or to become false as a result of deception or distortion. Okay? So we're not going to tamper with God's Word. We're not going to distort it. We're not going to deceive. We're not going to give false hope. 
because of that. Some students of the Bible believe that that was a word, that particular word being used there was used in the vocabulary of wine merchants to where they were describing the act or the, the idea of diluting the wine that was sold. Uh, and when we apply that idea to God's word, it's that if we're not careful, we can be in danger of watering it down or changing it to suit what the people want or what benefits us in some way. Okay? So that's the idea. It's the same idea being conveyed in 2 Timothy 4, 3. Now, I'm going to jump around to some supporting passages. You can either turn there if you just want to take notes and write those down and look at those a little bit closer on your own. That is up to you. But 2 Timothy 4, 3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Okay? But the Apostle Paul wasn't like that. He wasn't like that, was he? He operated very differently than some of the popular teachers during his time. Paul wasn't motivated by money in ministry. Um, we can see 2 Corinthians 2.17 where it kind of talks about that. Paul also didn't crave human approval. There's several places we can point to and, and, and approve that. And one of them is Galatians 1.10 where it talks about that a little bit. And then Paul, our passage this morning, is talking about how he refused to tamper with the Word of God, to adjust it or, or change it in any way. He did not water it down for his own benefit and he didn't change it in order to, to pander to what people wanted to hear, just like 2 Timothy uh, 4 was talking about. People with itching ears, you know, come scratch my ear. Come, just tell me what I want to hear. And if I'm not happy with that, I'm going to go find someone. I'm going to go find a church where I can have that done in the way that I want. Instead of just, uh, Paul is saying he wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to do that. He was going to preach God's word in an unadjusted way, it, whether you want to hear it or not, you need to hear it. <laughs> and so as we explore this theme of proclaiming Christ, uh, as we talk about you know, uh, being careful in our evangelistic conversations and opportunities, um, as we think about just what it is that we are proclaiming, um, do we ever find it hard, and this is kind of what I'm asking you this morning, do we ever find it hard to share the good news of the gospel in its full, unadulterated simplicity. Because sometimes we can find it maybe hard in our culture to... Uh, maybe our culture views that as a little bit too much like a blunt instrument. You know, If I just say it how the Bible says it, then I'm just going to turn people off. They're, just like Brian was talking about earlier during the Sunday school hour about the Crusades coming up. And remember oh, the, how they did that, right? Um, you tell me, though, do we sometimes try to make the gospel more palatable to those that we are sharing it with in, in our attempts to make it easier to digest for them or something desirable for them? Um, that's my question this morning. And if you want to take notes, I don't know uh, if, if you're taking notes, but I saw on the back of your bulletin there's a place for that. You can just put the first point, uh, the gospel made palatable. And maybe what that looks like is very innocent. Maybe it's very subtle. 
as well to where you don't even realize what's happening. Um, but I wonder if you've ever approached an evangelistic conversation or opportunity with, are you on your way to heaven? That's a good, easy way to start the conversation, right? If you died today, would you wake up to find yourself in heaven um, or hell? <laughs> um, those are very objective questions, aren't they? they? It's either yes or no. There's no, uh, if there's ifs about it, then you know where to take them in, in the scriptures to talk about those, that there isn't any ifs. Those are yes and no questions, right? And, and they're designed to elicit objective, measurable answers, aren't they? And they're questions designed to get to the point. Uh, of, uh, they're meant to measure yes or no. They're meant to determine, has this happened or not? So that we can talk about what's important. And those are good, old-fashioned, no-nonsense questions that measure the results of this thing, right? And after all, we're Americans. I'm still an American. Um, we don't dilly-dally around. We don't beat around the bush. We, we, if we do anything, we measure results, right? <laughs> well, what happens when our attempts um, at sharing the gospel clearly <laughs> center around the results or the benefits of our salvation? Hmm? That's the problem. Maybe we're asking, you could be assured of your place in heaven tonight. What's stopping you? Right? You, or, or, or all your pains and all your suffering in this world, all the hardships that you're, you're currently facing, all the sickness, all the struggles, and you could go on and on, they'll disappear when we get to heaven. Right? I, uh, and our plea is, that's what you could be assured of today if you would just accept Christ. Right? Sounds good. Or maybe you follow a little bit of a different strategy, maybe with people in your family, loved ones, um, that your hearts are truly breaking for. Um, you don't want to go to hell, do you? I, I want you in heaven with me. <laughs> don't you want to be in heaven? Um, and, and, and understanding, yeah, I want to go to heaven, and I understand God has made a way for us to be with Him in paradise after we die. Uh, and if we're not careful, though, our evangelistic pleas can turn into assurances that God is love, Jesus wants to be our friend, uh, or that God has a wonderful plan for your life, He wants to bless your life, um, or, or just that we have a wonderful rest waiting for us. That's good news. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that rest. Uh, but the reality is, there's truth in all of those statements. There's truth in all of those things. Uh, and even some of those motivations aren't bad, but at a certain level, they can end up coming across as a bit of a sales pitch for the benefits of Christianity um, and still miss the point of the gospel completely. Possibly like one of those timeshare sales pitches. I can remember my parents when I was little sitting in one of those and I got to be around and listen to that and think, you know, wow, the amenities in heaven. It's going to be amazing. Streets of gold. No sickness, no disease, no problems with sin. Right? Not just flowing from me, but flowing towards me from others. It's going to be wonderful. So please don't get me wrong. It's not my purpose uh, this morning to, to make light of any of of that 
right? I can't wait to get to heaven. Um, the more, the older I get, I can remember there being the time when God, please don't come before I'm married, at least, okay? <laughs> please don't come. And then, you know, as you get a little bit older in life, it's, everything's still sweet, but you're, you're longing. You're saying, okay, I've experienced enough of this, and I, I'm ready. I'm ready to go on. I'm ready for what's next. I, I so, so echo uh, Paul's cry in Philippians 1.23 where he says, I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. <laughs> but for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Right? There's still work to do. There's still things we need to be involved in in God's kingdom right here, right now, even though this is where the suffering is. Um, so please understand, I, I want to go to heaven. That's not the issue. I'm assured in the scriptures that I am going to heaven and and I am going to live and breathe and minister eternally in the presence of my God. But, and this is the big but, if I have evangelistic opportunities and if uh, as I rub shoulders with those who, um, as it stands, are not going to be in heaven with me yet, (laughs) as it stands, um, they're not going to profit from the, the benefits and the amenities, so to speak, of, of the results of salvation, those people that need to hear the gospel. So do I resort to a sales pitch tactic of the benefits um, as I approach them with their true need, um, as, as if somehow the benefits alone uh, should be a person's necessary motivation for responding to the gospel? Is that how it works? Is the gospel a logical fire escape? Well, it makes sense. I mean, you should have one, right? It's just your due diligence, right? Um, Is the gospel a wonderful retirement plan after a long, hard life? Consumerism kind of teaches us to evaluate the costs versus the benefits of a thing, right? to determine if it's truly worth it. Is that the gospel? Is that how it works? Is that our good news? Is that the gospel that we proclaim when we have opportunities to share even little tidbits, even just little spoonfuls, opportunities to say something here and there? Is that where we end up going with those opportunities first? Is that our go-to? The gospel... It's our good news, right? Um, it's the gospel that we proclaim, and it's the gospel that Paul refused to tamper with. So is it primarily about where I'm going when I die? Uh, is it fully about how nice it will be when I get there? Uh, maybe in contrast to how hard it is right here and right now? And another question that we could ask is, is it even first about me at all? And so if we ask the question, what is the gospel? What is the good news? And if you're taking notes, you can just say, number two, the gospel clarified. Understanding the gospel starts with the holy creator of the universe, understanding who he is, who he is and what he wants. And then uh, he's the one that made man in his image to know him and to have a relationship with him. Uh, So what's the problem? (laughs) The problem is that man is sinful. And, and, and we sin, and in our sinful state, we're cut off 
from that God, right? Um, and not only are we cut off, but we're the recipients of the wrath of a God who is angry at sin, right? In other words, God's wrath is directed towards sinful man, and, and nothing we on our own can, can, can say or do could ever make us right with that God. That's the problem. And if we want to concisely describe man's biggest problem and man's true need for the gospel, then man's biggest problem is that we're created to have a relationship with God, but uh, we are born alienated from that God. And we are recipients of his wrath. That's the problem. And when God looks upon sinful man, what is the first thing that he communicates to sinful man? Does he talk about all the benefits of if you weren't sinful and if you didn't have this alienation from me? No. The first thing that he communicates to sinful man who is alienated from him is what we see in Acts 17. Acts 17 says... He commands all people everywhere to repent. Right? So maybe it's easy for, for us to clarify what isn't the gospel at this point instead of what is the gospel. It's not a measurement of the benefits of Christianity. right? Um, it's not the, the calculated affirmation of the desirability of the, of the results of the gospel. Instead, it's the hope that God gives to sinful man, that the God who is angry at us, um, and he's angry at our sin, he can be appeased. It can be taken care of, and we can be made right with him. That's the gospel. Right? That's the good news. And, and, and that's the hope that we share, or we should be sharing during evangelistic opportunities with those who are lost. And so if we go back to our text in 2 Corinthians 4, when it comes to the truth of God's Word, Paul was unwilling to trick anyone or tamper at all with the message of the gospel. So as far as Paul was concerned, the gospel was not to be modified. It was not to be adjusted in any way or tampered with. And so in, in verse 2, Paul says that he rejects disgraceful, underhanded ways. He says we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. In other words, shameful methods or underhanded methods of sharing God's truth. He was not willing to manipulate the process by his own means or his own logic or his own motivation. And then he goes on to say, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul is not willing to distort God's word. He, he was telling the truth as, the, as God's word presents it. And he's saying, in essence, every man who is honest with his conscience knows that this is true. Right? Why is this? Why is Paul so careful not to distort the word of God? Well, why is, he, why is he careful not to distort the message of, of the gospel in any way? Uh, because if we change the gospel, then it is no longer the gospel. It's no longer good news if we adjust it in any way. And if I can add this, if we tamper with who the initiator of the gospel is, the results also change. And we're going to unpack that in just a bit. 
um, and our text is going to actually clarify that further. So let's go back to our text and allow it to explain the gospel more clearly to us. Look at verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So verse 3 tells us that the good news that we preach is hidden behind a veil. So if you're taking notes, write number 3, the gospel veiled. We're not talking about a physical veil. We're talking about a spiritual veil, right? Uh, It's hidden. It's hidden from the unbelieving world who is perishing, who is dying in their sins, who is separated from God. That means that the good news of the gospel is hidden from people who are alienated from God. It's hidden from the people who need it the most, right? The ones who are dying in their sins. Now, I do want to take a note here because in, uh, in the culture that I minister in, the, the, the worldview of the, the basal norm worldview of the people understands, would, would accept that there is a very active spirit realm around us operating, right? Now, our biblical worldview also affirms that, doesn't it? Okay? Just not the American non-biblical worldview doesn't recognize that. But our, our unbiblical worldview in Congo recognizes that there is a very active spirit realm. And sometimes, most of the time, I can say, I guess, our churches in our city operate out of that understanding, and it needs to be corrected from God's Word, but it isn't always. Okay? And so the, the idea that many churches, the way they worship and the way that they approach God is very much from the idea of the African traditional view of the world, not the biblical view of the world. And so there is the idea that, that there needs to be prayer with power. Why? <laughs> Because it elicits results? Well, maybe, but the reason is because Satan can snatch those prayers away before they even get up to God, right? Um, So as I view this passage of this veiling, the veiling of the gospel, I'm very sensitive to my culture's view of that, and I want to make sure, you know, that that even though we have a statement here in our passage about Satan's involvement— in that, in that, uh, that veiling, I still believe firmly that what we're talking about here in its broadest sense is a veil of God's doing, okay? Not Satan's omnipotence in that domain in any way, okay? Not, his, not Satan's sovereignty to do something outside of God's control, but the, uh, it's a veil of God's doing, So in our proclamation of God's word and the good news of the gospel, and you and I, as we have opportunities to share evangelistically, and we have opportunities to have those conversations and insert little tidbits of truth into our daily uh, discussions, um, we need to understand 
that the unbelieving world does not and cannot understand God's word. Okay? Um, And the hope of the gospel does not make sense to them. Our passage right here in verse 3 describes that as a spiritual veil over their eyes. Okay? So we can look at some other passages. 1 Corinthians 1.18 affirms this as well. It says, For the word of the cross is folly. That's another way of saying foolishness uh, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Okay? So the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, the ones who need it. Right? It's foolish to them. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.14. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14. The, the, na- the natural person, apart from God, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly. They are foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But, and then uh, 1 Corinthians 1.23 but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly, foolishness to the Gentiles. Right? That's everybody else that, who isn't a Jew. So not only is the gospel foolish and not only is it veiled to unbelievers, uh, but verse 4 in our text in 2 Corinthians 4 indicates that, as if it wasn't bad enough, Satan also has a hand in blinding unbelievers. Uh, to the truth of the gospel. So verse 4 says, the God of this world, small g, talking about Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the God of this world is is one of the titles of Satan, and so Satan is also a part of blinding the minds of unbelievers in some way, okay? When it's not my purpose this morning to delve into all of that, okay? We've actually just come out of a lengthy study at home, um, starting at Easter time, kind of just dealing with some of the cultural uh, confusions that surround the body and blood of Christ, and then we entered into just a, a series entitled, When Satan Seems Big and God Seems Small, right? And so oftentimes we take a title like this, the God of this world and our culture, at least the culture in Lubumbashi, just elevates that and puffs that up as if somehow Satan is a God. He's not a God, right? He's a created being, subservient to the, the sovereign will of the creator God, right? Anyway, I can't get into that. I got to make a bus here in just a little bit. Um, so, if Satan, though, is involved in blinding the minds of unbelievers in, in some way so that they might not see, so they might not see what? What is Satan blinding here, according to our text? Here, in, our, in this verse, is our first description of the good news as presented in our passage today, right? Obviously, we can go other places. So put in your notes, the gospel revealed, number four, gospel revealed. The first instance of the gospel that we're seeing defined here is presented somewhat in a negative way, interestingly. It's presented as the thing that Satan does not want unregenerate man to see, interestingly. And what is it? 
that Satan does not want seen. Look in verse 4 at the end there. It says, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Satan does not want sinful, unregenerate man to see (laughs) the glorious light of the good news. And who is the good news? Jesus Christ, right? Who is the exact likeness of God. So the good news is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And the hope of the gospel, of, of, of knowing the glory of God in the face of Christ, that's Jesus Christ. It's the hope of seeing him clearly and knowing him fully, even as we are known, as 1 Corinthians 13 talks about. It's the hope of, of seeing him just like he is and, and then becoming like him, like it talks about in 1 John 3, 2. Uh, it's the hope that because of what Christ did on the cross, we can become right with God, right? just as Jesus was right with God. We can become right with God, and we can have a relationship with God just as we have a relationship with Jesus, and Jesus has a relationship with God. See the connecting points? It's the hope that sinful man doesn't have to remain the objects of God's wrath and judgment anymore. Now, you remember just a little bit ago I said, uh, and I made the statement, if we tamper with who the initiator of the gospel is, then the results also change, right? Um, it's cause and effect. Uh, So the question is this, does God give you and I the responsibility to make the gospel palatable to those who need it most? And if I say, don't you want to go to heaven? Or don't you want to benefit from any of the plethora of of amenities connected with the results of of the genuine application of the gospel in the life of an individual? Do we really believe that it's up to that individual to decide if they want to become a follower of Jesus Christ? As if somehow we have to convince them? Or as if somehow that individual's desire to follow God is the initiating factor of the gospel in some way? Right? So if you're taking notes, write number five, the gospel initiated. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 of our passage tells us who the initiating factor of the gospel is. It says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That the same God who created the world out of nothing He spoke and it came into existence. That same God causes His light to shine in darkened hearts. It's His initiative. It's His creative act. And He makes His light shine in our hearts so that we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ, exactly what Satan wants to hide. And the hope of the gospel is that, that God is the one doing that for all who will believe. And we know Ephesians 2.8 well, don't we? Probably many of you know it by heart. Uh, by grace, 
You've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, right? Uh, Salvation is a gift from God. Even the faith to believe in Him is a gift from God. It's part of the gift that God initiates in us as the initiator of salvation, as the one who brings about that good news. And so please understand, Paul's not saying that because this is something God does, um, we're not saying that we don't have to do anything in the process. It is what it is, as we were laughing about some comedian the other day. Um, Paul, what's Paul saying here? When we, when we do something evangelistically, let's just not tamper with the gospel, right? But we need to understand, as we stand before God with the mandate to proclaim Christ to a world that is lost without him, it's not our responsibility to make the gospel palatable. We don't have to feel that pressure, right, that responsibility. The gospel is foolishness. We can expect that. We can assume that's how it's going to be. It's foolishness to those who are lost. The gospel cannot be understood by natural man. And we need to remember that even the apostle himself took great care as he handled the gospel. Yeah, God spoke through him, right, to to inspire the word that we hold today and and we're careful with it. But even the apostle himself was taking great care as he handled the gospel so that it would not fall prey to the, the popular ideas of his day, right? Ideas that were being propagated by some of the more fashionable theologians. Right, of whom Paul was not, I guess. <laughs> Paul said that he would not tamper with God's word. He would not distort the message of the gospel. He would not water it down in any way. Why? Because by changing the gospel, we're in danger of making disciples of ourselves and not of God. We're in danger of making disciples to some other way but not the way that God described, right? And if natural man cannot accept the things of God, and yet somehow we have found a way of convincing natural man to desire the gospel, then it's probably that we're no longer teaching the true gospel. God himself is the initiator of the gospel in the heart of sinful man. And uh, he takes what is foolish to the entire world and he makes it personal to us. He makes it desirable to us. And what never made sense before is what becomes to us now the most important thing in the world. Um, Now, when, when sinful man's eyes are opened, when that veil is removed we see and we understand and god is the one who does that right no one had to convince us no one had to share with us all the benefits right we we didn't even have to know any of the benefits right and in and in reality you understand thus that we live in this world and god has told us it is not going to be easy for his followers and we, we would be great deceivers to just be talking about the benefits and not be talking about the suffering for Christ, 
the hardship that we will face, the persecution because we're followers of Christ. This world did not love our Savior, and it does not love His followers, right? So we can talk about the benefits all day long, but it's our hope for the future. But God is the one who initiates that salvation. The good news isn't the benefits. It's that we have been made right with God. The fact that we were recipients of His wrath, and now we can be brought as sons and daughters into his family. Um, That's the good news. Um, And God himself is the initiator of the gospel. Um, We have to be careful, don't we? Um, We don't want to make disciples to ourselves. Uh, Churches are full around the world of of self-converts, right? Right? We want to make sure that when God is the one doing the work in the life of an individual, uh, yeah, we want to be there to do our part, to, to water and plant, and, and, and yet God is the one who reaps the harvest, right? We want our churches to be full of, of those who are truly regenerate. Not because we've fed them what they wanted to hear and their ears are itching and, and if, as long as we're scratching that, then everything's okay, right? We have enough problems of sin in the church with you and me in the church who are regenerate, right? Um, we don't need people in the church who aren't regenerate. And I'm, please don't say I'm saying, hey, all y'all out there, you just stay out there. We're going to be in here. We need to know who who. The reason of the church, right, the reason of membership and and the reason that you know who the family is is because it lets you know who you still need to evangelize. It lets you know, oh, you're not a member of the church? Well, well, maybe I need to tell you about the gospel, right, so that you can come to know Jesus and become a member of the church. Shame if we have to be evangelizing ourselves because um, we're letting people think somehow that they've accepted the gospel and they've completely missed the point, right? So let's be careful with our vocabulary that we're using. Let's be careful with our motivations. And yeah, there might be times to talk about the benefits, but don't miss the point. Don't miss the hope. The hope is that we're made right with God. The hope is that we are sinful man and yet Christ died so that he could pay the price for our sins and we could be made right with God. That's the end of the gospel. And then whatever comes after that is the, is the icing on the top. And then we get to live through our lives and go and be with him one day. And we look forward to that. I'm going to ask you to stand and we'll pray and then we'll turn it back over. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for this passage this morning and the hope that it gives. We know Satan can seem powerful at times, and and yes, he might be a part of the veiling process, but our eyes look to you, the one who initiates our faith, the one who brings it to uh, fruition in us. And Father, we trust that those in our lives who are lost and dying without you, we trust that you will give us opportunities to share your word, and then we trust that your word will not return empty-handed, but you will accomplish all that you want to. You will be bringing all to you who you will be saving, and we trust you for that. And we're thankful that you allow us to be a part of the process in some small way. We just pray that you would help us not to be tampering with your word, 
but to be sharing it fully as you have shared it because that's where our hope is. That's the only place our hope is. We love you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.